Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Hi there. We are ready for Dig a Bit number three in our study of persecution in the hour has come. This is the month of May. And as we talked last time, we were talking about our high priest, Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews chapter four, at the bottom of that chapter, it says, we have a great high priest who's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. So let us hold fast or hang on to our profession or confession. For we have not a high priest which can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is our high priest, and he has experienced everything that we experience in a negative way as followers of Christ. And I I believe the chapter break here is unfortunate because it just flows right into chapter 5 where it says, For every high priest taken among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. We're talking about the high priests of the old law, the, the Levitical system, the Hebrew system, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. For he himself also is compassed with infirmity. The high priest knew what the people were going through because he was going through it also. And by reason hereof, he ought as as for the people, so also for himself to offer, offer for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he that's called of God, as was Aaron. And in that same way, Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he said to him, you're my son, today have I begotten you. And he said in another place, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then verse 8. Well, let's go ahead and read verse 7 too. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto the one who was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. And at that time, verse 8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made complete or perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. What we learn from this passage is that Jesus was uniquely qualified to be our sacrifice, our go-between, our mediator between men and God because he suffered every single kind of persecution that we suffer. And he was submissive all the way into death. And so he, because he died for us, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. I love the last few verses of chapter 4 of Hebrews and the first few of chapter 5, which point out to us that because he suffered in every way that we do, he was able to go in. Aaron suffered in the same way that the people he represented suffered, but he wasn't perfect in those sufferings. And so his sacrifices were not um, enough. They were not sufficient 
for an eternal sacrifice for the sins of mankind. But Christ suffered in all the same ways that we do, all of the same ways, and he suffered without sin. So he was perfect for representing us. He knows exactly what we're going through, but he was perfect to go before the holy God to represent him to us because he was without sin. So he had that extreme and impossible for Aaron to achieve advantage over Aaron because he went through everything that we go through and yet he did it without sin. So last time we talked about how that Jesus went through physical abuse or death. We talked about how that he endured hatred. We gave passages for these. We talked about how that he endured verbal anger. And we talked about how that he endured verbal ridicule or mocking. I think we covered all of those last time. This time I wanted us to talk about how that he endured the loss of income or position. Um, Some folks in the Bible that we can think of that endured the loss of position, maybe Vashti back in the book of Esther, she lost her position because she wouldn't Um, come and participate in the drunken festival that her husband was having for the attendees of his great big feast. Think about Paul. He lost his influence in the Jewish synagogues. He was even persecuted in those very same synagogues in which he used to be a ruler. Um, Think about Matthew at being a tax collector. Wow, he was in a lucrative position and he was trusted by the Romans to inflict payment from the Jews. And yet he forsook that. He walked away from that. And I think about, well, really all the apostles walked away from their money-making, but most of them walked away from um, professions that were lower class. But Matthew walked away from the receipt of customs. So there were people, lots of people that we could name, who gave up position in order to follow Christ. And many people that you can think of today who do that. Did Jesus have to give up position? Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that he did because, um, well, Matthew 8 verse 20 says, that the Son of Man, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. He didn't, he was homeless for a time. I think about Luke chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. That is where Jesus went back to Nazareth, his hometown, and went into the synagogue. And that was a place where. You know, when Joseph and Mary started out, I know that Nazareth was not a place that was, uh, you know, like Huntsville, Alabama has just been declared the number one most desirable city in which to live in the whole United States of America. Wow, Nazareth wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. In fact, people said, you know, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? But as far as being a citizen of Nazareth, Joseph and Mary were responsible respected people. They were uh, people who were recognized in the small town of Nazareth, so far as we can tell. But in Luke chapter 4, Jesus went back to teach in the synagogue, 
And he came to Nazareth, verse 16, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He was standing up and reading at the place where the scroll was. It was kind of a podium where the scroll was. And he closed the book then. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all those who were in the room in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. I get it. Jesus was worthy to be in the synagogue, to pick up the scroll, and to read it in public to the people. But whoa, when he started saying, This is being fulfilled today, and... No prophet is accepted in your own country. And there were lots of widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and great famine was throughout all the land. But to none of those was Elijah sent save unto, and he named this uh, city in Sidon, to this woman who was a widow and lots of lepers, but only Naaman was cleansed. And all those who were in the synagogue heard these things, and they were filled with wrath. Why were they? Because he was saying, this is being fulfilled in your ears today, and I am, he was really claiming for himself, this deity and this ability to heal. And so they rose up, verse 29, and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill whereon the city was built that they might cast him down headlong. They were trying to throw Jesus off a cliff from his own city, his own hometown of Nazareth. But as we continue to talk here about the persecution of Jesus, we definitely see that he lost his position, he lost his home, he lost his position in Nazareth, and he was um, this loss of really earthly income that he could have been making as a carpenter, as well as his position of citizenry, really, in Nazareth was taken away from him. They wanted to cast him off of the cliff. So he endured that kind of persecution. What other kind can we think of? Well, we have several listed here in our book. Loss of freedom or incarceration. Well, first of all, intentionally inflicted sorrow or mental anguish. Did, Did people inflict sorrow and mental anguish on Jesus? That's one of the worst kinds of persecution that we face today is when somebody, especially somebody that we're close to turns against us because of something that we're doing that's right and begins to upbraid us or mock us or be angry at us because we're not participating in the same sin in which they might be participating. That's hard. Did Jesus have to endure that? Well, his own brothers in John chapter 7 verses 3 through 5 Remember, they said, um, go on up to the Passover and do these miracles you think you can do in front of them. 
And then it says, because they didn't believe him. They were inflicting sorrow upon him. They were making this amazing accusation that Jesus had been born out of wedlock. After all, if he wasn't the son of the Holy Spirit, then he was born illegitimately. They were inflicting sorrow on our Lord Jesus. I find it very interesting that at the end of Jesus' life, we find at least three scriptures that tell us that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Why do you think Jesus was troubled in his spirit? I mean, Jesus was the son of God. He knew what the end of the story was going to be. I, I would really submit to you that one of the reasons, if not the most compelling reason behind the sorrow and the struggling in spirit of our Lord was just because all of humanity, Cindy Colley, is sorrowful and struggling in her spirit often. And my Lord needed to know what that was like in order to be the perfect, the complete, submissive, obedient Lamb of God. He needed to know what that was like because he needed to be tempted in all points like as we are. And that's a big point of temptation or trial for Cindy Colley is struggling with sorrow inside her spirit. And so we read about Jesus being troubled in his spirit in in John chapter 12, John chapter 12 and verse 27. Well, this is as he was, as Jesus was ending his public ministry and going private with his apostles and had said in verse 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So he was definitely turning his, his focus toward the cross and he was saying, I'm going to die because a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies. And unless it does die, it can't bring forth fruit. So he was prophesying of his own death here. And then he said in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this hour that I came unto. It was for this cause that I came unto this hour. So glorify your name, Father. He said, my spirit is troubled. My soul is troubled. Then we turn to the very next chapter in John 13. And this is after, just after Jesus had washed the apostles' feet. And he is foretelling in verse 18, uh, the scriptures fulfill, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. This was that horrible time when one of his own was leaving the room to go and betray him. And Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And, but in verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit. And he testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I'm telling you, one of you will betray me. When Jesus talked about the betrayal of the one within his inner circle, there was sorrow in his heart. Why? He knew that he had to go to the cross to glorify the Father. But that sorrow was in his heart that he might know what I feel when betrayal happens in my own life, when one who is in my inner circle turns around and becomes at enmity with me as Judas was with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that anything that I would go through would compare with what Jesus was going through here, but I am saying that he felt the same thing in his soul 
that I feel in my soul when someone betrays me. That's what being a high priest is. That's what Hebrews 4 and 5 was telling us about Jesus, that he experienced every kind of temptation or infirmity that we experience. So he goes on then, and then a little bit later, in Mark chapter 14, 34, maybe the immediate context around verse 34 of Mark chapter 14. It says there, that's a long chapter. It says there that they went to this place called Gethsemane, and that you know that's in the garden where Jesus was going to pray just shortly before his death, and he took with him Peter and James and John. And this is after the betrayal. This is while Judas was out there betraying him. And he began to be amazed and to be very sore troubled. Verse 33 says he was sore troubled. I don't know what um, a different version says. I should have looked that up, but you can look at your version. But verse 34 says, And he said to them, to Peter, James, and John, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. And we know that this is when Jesus went and and sweated and that blood was mixed in with his sweat as he did. He was exceedingly stressed and sorrowful at that time. Did Jesus endure intentionally inflicted sorrow or mental anguish? He most certainly did. And then finally, the loss of freedom or incarceration. We know that the whole crucifixion was preceded by the incarceration of Jesus, the arrest of Jesus in the garden. And it was a group of Roman soldiers that came to get Jesus. And in spite of the fact when that when he told them who he was, they fell backwards miraculously, showing the power of Jesus. He submitted to incarceration. He was arrested. Has, have any of us been arrested for our faith? I doubt it. I have a friend who was arrested the other day for doing a right thing um, and being accused of doing a wrong thing. It didn't take her long to get out because her innocence was proven quickly. But has Jesus ever felt that sting of incarceration? Certainly he did in the garden. And Jesus had to be imprisoned or bound through the night that night before the crucifixion happened. The Bible tells us that they took Jesus to the house of Caiaphas. And I, I've been over in Israel to a place that they believe could quite possibly be the home of Caiaphas because it is in the section of town as they've unearthed it. It's in the section of town where the rulers lived, where the elite people lived, not where the poor people lived. It has a place inside it for this place that I saw has a place where there are holes in the wall that were for chains to hold people up against the wall for prisoners. So we know that this dungeon that I saw was a place where prisoners were kept. Was it the house of Caiaphas? Was it where Jesus was was bound through the night when during the parts of the night when they weren't interrogating him. I don't know that for sure, but I know that my Lord spent his last night before the crucifixion, of course, incarcerated. I love to think about the fact that 
we can practically walk through the life of Jesus. And we only hit, you know, the high points and only gave one or two examples of each kind of persecution that Jesus went through. But every single infirmity or trial through which any of us has been, has been experienced by the Lord Jesus. We know that from Hebrews chapter 4 and 5, from which we read at the beginning of this discussion. There, we know, first of all, that there is no temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We know that there's no temptation that's taken us, but such as is common to men, and that is that somebody, some man, has suffered in the same way that you're suffering before you have. He even said, said that to the Christians in the first century. But Jesus is the only man who has suffered in every way that it's possible for any man to suffer, thus qualifying him, qualifying him exclusively to be the high priest, the one who bears our sins before the Father. I was reading, as I was looking over this, I was reading, uh, someone said, Jesus sorrowed in his spirit so that I will never have to. Well, I do believe that in this life we will sorrow in our spirits. We'll sorrow over sin. We'll sorrow over the loss of loved ones. We will sorrow when we are facing extreme pain. But he, sor he sorrowed in his spirit so that my spirit can forever be free and soar and completely be done with sorrow for eternity. Hope you have a good day. It's, it, this is a great study. We'll have one more dig a bit. And I hope you're able to listen to, to watch the video podcast as well. Have a great day.